Child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. Oh, you got to have the hand motions now. You can't just Merry Christmas. Come on. One of the things that we love to do here at church is have a good time. Amen? That's what family's all about. I would ask you to, as we begin our new series, our Christmas series, uh, Christmas Traditions, I want you to think about some of the Christmas traditions that you have experienced in your life. Uh, what are some of those favorite Christmas traditions? I don't want you to yell them out. I just want you to think about it for a minute. As I was uh, working on the message this week, uh, lots of things ran through my mind. I mean, sometimes when you're a kiddo, you think of, you remember, you remember things that are memorable about Christmas. Uh, maybe it's something that you started recently now in your life that makes it memorable. Uh, I thought back to when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma City. Uh, we had uh, youth kids coming from a various number of, of uh, churches uh, to the youth program. And... Uh, there was a young man named Tommy Nichols. Tommy played football for Moore High School. That's back when they had one high school, not, not three. Uh, and uh, I enjoyed Tommy. He was a big strapping guy, reminded me of when I was in high school playing football. And he always wore his letter jacket because he was real proud of that letter jacket. Well, at Christmas time, <clears throat> the youth group, we had a youth group of about 60 kids, and uh, junior, junior high, senior high kids. And I would go to the uh, post office in uh, near our church and I would get letters several letters to Santa Claus about five and then we would uh, contact the families and ask them if they would let us be Santa Claus to their families and so we would take that and much like we do our angel tree for Cooks and Hills we would then do that for uh, these families and uh, we would get gifts and wrap them and then the youth group would uh, sack them up in big sacks and take them out to these families to distribute well we got to this one family, it's a family of six, and uh, Tommy wanted to be Santa Claus, the big guy that he was. He wanted to carry all of the presents into this house. So there was about four or five big sacks, and he puts them up on his shoulder, hanging on to them, you know, acting like he's really tough and macho and strong and all that stuff. And we get up to the door. He's even decided he wanted to wear his uh, Santa hat. And I said, man, that sounds great. Let's do it. So he's got the Santa hat and the sack and the letter jacket on, and we come into this house. Now, there's about 30 of us delivering this, so we're in a small house, probably 1,200-square-foot house, and 30 teenagers and, and adults coming in, along with this family of six. Well, the kids had no idea, so we're knocking on the door. They, they open the door. The mom does. She lets us in. We bring these gifts, not only for each kiddo, but for the mom and dad as well. But I never will forget when Tommy put the sacks down and we start going through the sacks and calling out the name and the kids would come over and get them. They were just big eyed because they thought, how do they know who we are? Well, this one little girl, Tommy, it got to Tommy and he, he called the little girl's name and I can't remember her name, but he calls her name out and she comes running over and she doesn't reach for the gift. She comes over and reaches up to Tommy like this. And that big old strapping football player, he goes, up, 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 up. 
because he had the package in his hands. He didn't know what to do. And he kept looking at me, and I said, like this. And so he tried to hand her the present, and she goes, and he was trying to give her the present. So finally, one of the sponsors went over and got the present, and then I said, pick her up. So he reached down and he hugged her. Now, that was, that's not what Tommy used to He didn't do that. Big strapping football players, they don't do that. I mean, they may be at your side going, but this little girl. And I never will forget the profound change on him and in his life and on his face. Because something magical happens at, at times like that. And it happens a lot at Christmas, doesn't it? Remember Santa Claus? And you're learning about Santa Claus? Some of you still may still understand and believe that Santa Claus is dead. Right? I, I don't want to burst your bubble in any way. Because he's real, isn't he? And I used to get really kind of, when I was real little and I'd listen to that song, it says that, he knows you when you're, he knows when you're, he knows if you've been so before. That's a little creepy if you stop and think about it now. I mean, it's, <laughs> God knows everything. No wonder we, no wonder the halos come out at Christmas though, right? But there's just something magical. There's something, there's something pure about Christmas. The snow, the glitter, the bright lights. There's just something that's pure about Christmas. And all the trappings that come around it. And from your outline, I want you to write down two theological terms this morning. Are you ready? The first one is the Immaculate Conception. That's the first phrase, theological phrase I want you to write down. The Immaculate Conception. And then the second one is the Virgin Birth. Hopefully they're happening behind me as well. Okay. <clears throat> the first one is <laughs> the Immaculate Conception. And the second one is the Virgin Birth. As you see, those come right into those lines up there, don't you? Okay. And these two phrases are connected to Christmas. And what they mean is that Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit and not her fiancé, Joseph. That's in a nutshell what these mean. Up till this time, from Adam and Eve, the normal process of having a child between man and woman is how it worked. Until now. Until now. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit and that Joseph was then not his biological father. Joseph with his stepfather, and that's an important theological point, that Jesus then could claim to be fully man, and he could also claim to be fully God. Because the Immaculate Conception refers to the fact that Mary being human, the Holy Spirit being God, created the Christ child. The phrase, the virgin birth, refers to the fact that Mary was still a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. Why are these two words important? Well, the word immaculate means without spot or blemish. It means perfect. And the fact that Mary was a virgin meant that she was pure sexually. Not only did Jesus live the only perfect, sinless, spotless life, but he was brought into a sinful world in the most pure 
way possible. So you see, purity very much a part of the first Christmas. Purity wasn't only important in the first Christmas, it was also a very important part of every Jewish birth. In the Jewish tradition, when someone came into contact with blood, they became impure. And in childbirth, every woman comes into contact with blood. And when a woman gave birth and contacted the blood, she would be ceremonially unclean for a week. And to make herself pure again, she would have to make sacrifices that were called purification sacrifices. The law that lays this out is found in Leviticus chapter 12 in the Old Testament. And when Mary gave birth to Jesus, she followed this law to the T. And in your sermon notes, we find it in the New Testament in Luke chapter 2. Eight days later, <clears throat> when the baby was circumcised, it may not be in your notes, it may be up here. All right. He was named Jesus, the name given by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering. As required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And I think it's important to note that in this passage in Luke, Mary and Joseph were poor people. How do I know that? Because Leviticus, if you were to read the story in Leviticus or the law in Leviticus in chapter 12, it says the sacrifice ought to be a lamb. But, in fact, if you were poor, too poor to afford a lamb, you could substitute it with two birds. And so we find in the account of Luke that two birds were used. So Mary and Joseph didn't have enough money to buy a lamb, so they substituted it with the two birds for the purification offering. Because remember, purity was a big part of this first Christmas. And it was a huge part of the Jewish faith. But understand this, that Jesus, through his birth and through his life and through his death on the cross, would forever change what it meant to be pure. Very important point. Because no longer after his death would purification be about following a strict set of laws. It would no longer be about who, what you eat or what you touch or about making the right sacrifice. It wouldn't even be about being good. From this point, purity was all about having a heart made right by God. And here's the point I want to make today. Purity is important in our lives today because we cannot experience God to His fullest, cannot see God with clarity in our life when we have impurity in our hearts. If we want to experience God in a real and powerful way in our lives, if we want to feel close to God, we have to have pure hearts. And we need pure hearts. We need them in our culture today. In fact, Jesus said it very clearly in our memory verse we read earlier. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God in Matthew 5.8. He says it clearly. If you want to see God, if you want to experience God in a real way, you must have a pure heart. Because if there is impurity in our life, if there is sin in your life, it will separate you from God. And it will keep you from experiencing Him in a deep, meaningful way. When there's something in your life that separates you from God, keeps you from experiencing God to His fullest, it keeps you from being able to recognize Him working in your life or in the world around you, that's why purity is so important. I hear people say that they're going through dry times spiritually in their life. I don't, they say, I don't feel God. I don't experience God. I don't, I don't feel Him answering my prayers and that can happen for a lot of reasons. 
But whenever you're going through a dry spell spiritually and you don't feel God in your life, the first thing you need to do is examine your heart for impurities. When your hearts are impure, we can't see God as clear as we need to. So if we want to see God this Christmas, we've got to have pure hearts. So for the remainder of our time today, we're going to do a checkup on our hearts. I want to do a little self-examination because if we want to experience God, we have to have these pure hearts. So let's look at four steps of what it takes to have pure hearts this Christmas. Step number one, examine my heart for impurities. Examine my heart for impurities. And the way we're going to define impurity is anything in your heart that shouldn't be there. Anything in your heart that shouldn't be there. A few years ago, my doctor decided I needed a heart stress test. Any of you had one of those? Oh, they're fun, aren't they? And I'm not sure really what a heart stress test was for. And I have a bad knee, so I really couldn't walk on a treadmill to get it up fast enough to get my heart rate to the level they wanted it. So they said, oh, that's fine. We'll just do it by chemical. We'll chemically induce your, your stress on your heart. I said, that sounds easy. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds great. So toodaloo, off I go. <laughs> and I lay down on the table, and I'm on my side. And uh, they put IVs in, and they start this. They said, well, you should be feeling it now. Well, sure enough, boy, I felt my heart starting to beat harder. And uh, she said, well, you should feel it a little bit harder now. And sure enough, well, just, you know, a little bit harder. And then before long, I mean, I thought, it's coming out of my chest. I'm laying on my heart that's going to burst on this table. What is going on? And then she said, well, it's not fast enough. I need you to move your legs. So I'm moving my legs. I'm swinging my arms, and they're putting stuff, and it's going, bam, 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 bam. And I said, and she goes, okay, we made it. And I went, oh, good. <clears throat> Give me the treadmill. Trade. <laughs> so once I got my breath back and I sat up on the table, I said, can you tell me what was this for? She said, oh, we're just wanting to check, see if there's anything wrong with your heart, anything that's impure in there. I said, and you had to put me through that? Hmm. I'm glad, hallelujah, they didn't find anything. Glad there's no impurities in there, but I'm not ready for another one of those anytime soon. But the reality of life is that though the doctor was looking for impurities in my heart physically, there's not a doctor machine that's been created that can look for the spiritual impurities in my heart. I've got to do that. I've got to discover where the anger, the envy, the hatred, the greed, the lust, the selfishness, the worry. <clears throat> I've got to find out where that comes from. We have to do that in a self-examination. And I can't think of a better time of year than Christmas to perform that self-examination. Because as we reflect back over the year we have just, that, that we've just lived, and as we look forward to a brand new year, we can look in our lives and see the things that shouldn't be there. Proverbs 29, verse 9, uh, 20 and verse 9 says this, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure and free from sin? King Solomon, wisest man in the world, asking a rhetorical question here. I mean, how many of us could actually look in our lives and say, I don't have any sin. I don't have any sin. Someone came to me one time and said, You know, I, I just read the, in the book of James chapter 3, and I can, I've, just, I've read the whole chapter, I've read it several times, and I can't find anything in that chapter that has any application to my life. <clears throat> well, that's the chapter that deals with the tongue that's set on fire by hell itself. How can bitter water and, and sweet water flow from the same fountain? I thought, whoo, you, you missed gossip? 
are you calling me a gossip? I said, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, I'm not calling you a gossip. I just said, there's, wow, how do you miss that? That our tongue is what gets us in trouble. Because we say stuff we don't intend to hurt anybody with, amen? Oh, how many times do we do that a day? Now, and you may, you may even say it right, but they didn't receive it well. How many of us do that? Happens every day. But it's amazing. But Solomon's asking this. Because you see, we all have areas of our lives that we struggle, in which we struggle. Areas of our lives that are impure, that we regularly need to take stock of and give ourselves a checkup about. We have to identify those areas in our lives that are not correct and ask God to help us correct them. But how do we do that? How do we measure the purity of our hearts? Well, I think one of the ways is to examine the words that come from our mouth. Because here's the truth. The words that come out of your mouth, especially when they are the wrong words, are very powerful words. The Bible says that words that come out of your mouth are perhaps the best thermometer for a condition of your heart. Think about it for a moment. Every word that comes out of your mouth doesn't come from a vacuum. It comes from some place inside of you. <clears throat> Matthew 12, 35 says, A good person produces good works from a good heart, and an evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. So your words reveal the condition of your heart. Ever had someone say something hurtful, and then they say, Oh, that really wasn't me saying that. You just don't know what's been going on in my life right now. Well, the truth is, it was you that said those words. Because we really find out the character of a person when they're under a pressure cooker. When they're under stress. Had a guy one time let out a string of cuss words because he was really frustrated. He said, well, pardon my French. I said, oh, man, a miracle just happened. And he said, what? I said, a miracle, man. I don't know French. I understood everything you said. Praise God. You know, what goes out starts from somewhere. It's when you're under pressure that your real colors show. But when we're living life and it's calm and it's peaceful, well, we put that mask on like everything's good. Hallelujah. Jesus, amen. A little tough time comes in, what do we do? I'm sorry, God left me here in the hole. I'll tell you what. I didn't need a flat tire on the side of the road with it snowing at five foot tall. Ha! What do the words that come out of our mouth say to the condition and purity of our hearts? You know, that's really a tough question, isn't it? Being pure in the eyes of Jesus is more than just a to-do list. It's about our motivation. Proverbs 16, 2. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. You know, earlier I was talking about the purity of Christmas and Santa Claus. And, you know, growing up as a kid, I always heard that God knows everything. Well, when I found out that Santa Claus knows everything, where I sleep, when I eat, when I you know, kind of got me shook up here. But really, the reality is that God alone knows, doesn't he? Oh, he knows when I'm sleeping, and he knows when I've been bad or good. And I ought to be good for goodness sake, Amen. But God alone only knows. And he knows the motives behind our words, our actions, and what's in our hearts. Jesus said it's not enough to, to not murder. 
you're not supposed to have enough anger that would cause you to murder. You're not supposed to have enough anger in your heart to even go there. Jesus said it's not about following a to-do list. It's about the condition of your heart. You can fool other people. You can even fool yourself. But you can never fool Almighty God. Maybe you need to pray this prayer out of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Well, that's a powerful prayer, isn't it? That prayer is saying, God, help me find the impurities in my heart, expose them, and help me get rid of them. And that leads us to the second step, and that is keep impure thoughts from entering my mind. If we want to have pure hearts, we have to guard what comes into our minds and then into our hearts. We need to go to, on a diet, if it were, of what we see and what we hear around us. Things that I see and hear are what I tend to think about. And the things I think about will determine my actions and the condition of my heart. Luke eleven thirty four says this, Your eye is a lamp for your body. A pure eye lets sunshine into your soul, but an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges you into darkness. So if you've got a good eye, you've got a godly eye, then guess what? You've got sunshine in your life. Nothing better than sunshine. Thieves come at night. Well, they come in the day now, I guess, but uh, most of them come at night. When do cockroaches come out in the dark? That's why I leave lights on all the time, so the cockroaches go to somebody else's house. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I love it when you, when you flip a light on and the cockroach looks at you and goes, whoo, and then runs. Doesn't your cockroaches do that? Mine talk to me. <laughs> hey, preacher, you want to leave that out again? <laughs> Jesus is saying that, it, it, this is a, such a powerful verse, he's saying that the eye is the window to our heart. The eye is the window to our heart. What he means is that if you're looking at something, then you let it into your life. Young people, please hear me. My back row four back there. Derek, if you need to, smack all of them. Let's keep them away. But I'm telling you, young people, you have got to listen to this because your eyes, what you see, what you hear is what affects your heart. We're naive to believe that if we're around people that talk negatively, that we're not going to talk negatively. We're naive to believe that if we listen to gossip, that we're not going to gossip ourselves. We're naive to believe that if we look at pornography, that's not going to affect us. If we're naive to believe we're going to listen to music to, by these, some of these rap artists that are making millions and millions of dollars tell, <laughs> telling you stuff you don't need to know, and it's not going to affect you, well, I just listen to the beat, preacher. I don't listen to the words. I can turn the beat off, and you can tell me every word that he just said. I have no idea. The Christian guys, every now and then, they yell, Jesus, and you think it's a Christian song, you see. Now, I don't know what they're saying in between, because who knows? I mean, they're doing this. It's crazy stuff. Take me back to how great they are. That way I can understand what you're saying. But what's in your heart? What's going in is going to come out. And it affects the purity of our heart. The Bible says that our lives are shaped by our thoughts. And too many of our thoughts are being invaded by the sexual and violent thoughts flooding into our minds through TV, through movies, through the Internet, and through some of these games absolutely amazing what's available today to see and affect us. And I'm learning more every day that what I eat affects the condition of my physical heart 
So what I hear and see affects the spiritual condition of my spiritual heart, and we can't let garbage come in and expect good to come out. Maybe you'll take this pledge with me. I think it's up here, Psalm 101 and verse 3. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I've caught myself four times this week ready to say a negative thing. And I said, <laughs> and I'm pulling it back. I'm pulling it back. It's time that we as a body in Christ not use sarcasm, not use innuendo, that we only use speech that is laced with grace, mercy, love, and kindness. And if we will do that, oh my gracious, how fun a church would be, amen? Hey, let's give it a shot. We can take the pledge and we can do it. Are we going to be perfect every time? No. But if we keep working at it, we will, amen? We will, we will. Keeping impurities out of our lives is not enough. It leads us to the next step, number three, fill my life with God's presence. If the first step is to examine my heart for impurities, second step is to take preventative measures to keep the bad stuff out of my life, and the third step is to take the right medicine. You see, once the doctor determined that there weren't any impurities in my heart from that stress test, then he began to lecture me on what I should be doing to put the right things in my life. He said, you are type 2 diabetic, and so there's medicines that you need to take, and you need to regulate, and you need to stay on these things, or you're going to pay a heavy price. I said, yeah, whatever. Whatever. I said, I'm, I'm in my 50s now. I, who are you? I, I mean, who are you, really? So I would be haphazard about the way I was taking my medicine. <laughs> I hate it when they're right, don't you? I do. A doctor told me when I was 25 that if I didn't make some lifestyle changes, he said, by the time you're 40, you're going to pay a heavy price and be a diabetic. I looked at him and I said, have you lost your mind? And he looked at me and he said, you can't go to an all-you-can-eat place. I said, what do you mean? I mean, that's where I go, right? He said, because you take them serious. You can't go. <laughs> now I just drive by. I smell them. <sighs> and I keep going. Because that's not where I need to be. And we need to learn that. If I don't take care of my diabetes, guess what? It's going to take care of me. <laughs> but praise the Lord, those medicines work. If you do them right, they work even better. I'm working hard now to get completely off of medicine. Whatever you It could happen. We'll have a party. We'll have ice cream from Brahms. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like an overweight person saying, let's celebrate. Let's go to Brahms. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, man, the anointing's leaving me right now. <laughs> so along with keeping that bad stuff out, we've got to put the right stuff in. We've got to take the right medicine. Matthew 12, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and clean. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. What a powerful lesson in these verses. God cleans you up, and then you don't fill that void with godly things, good things. Guess what? The bad comes back and brings some friends. We raised three boys. 
At any given time, I could look in the kitchen and there'd be a herd in there. And they weren't all mine. I never will forget, Joey Twelly was over at the house one day. Cindy got in from the grocery store. All I heard Joy say is, she went to the store. It seemed like locusts came from the whole neighborhood. Whatever was there was gone. All we had was empty bags laying on the floor. Wouldn't trade it for a minute. Awesome. But you know what? There's a powerful lesson in these verses. God can clean you up. But you've got to put something good, godly back in that spot. You've got to let his spirit fill you again and be full of it. And the only way you do it is to get into the word of God. You've got to be in there, 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 be in there. You've got to get around believers. In fact, you know, periodically I tell you there's four things that you ought to do to have a growing walk with God. Number one, encounter God daily through his word. Number two, encounter God daily through prayer. Number three, don't neglect meeting with other believers. Don't do it. Don't, don't hesitate to meet. If you're out of town, go to church somewhere. If you can't get to church somewhere, turn a preacher on TV. Get close to the believers. Hang on to them because there's our strength. We're all in this together. Yeah. And then number four is give away what you have, which is the good news of Jesus. Give it away. Don't hang on to it. Don't hold on to it. Give it away. Encounter God daily through his word, through prayer. Don't neglect meeting with other believers and give what you have away. Give that good news of Jesus to others. And these things will allow us to fill those voids. And the evil can't come back. Psalm 119.11 tells a young person how you can stay pure. Are you ready? Psalm 119.11, how can a young person stay pure? By doing what? Say it out loud. So to have a pure heart this Christmas, I need to examine my heart, guard my heart from impurities. I need to fill my heart with God's presence. And these steps are so important, but they're not the end to end all. If you want to have pure hearts, we want to stand before God and be pure. There's only one way, and that leads me to step number four, and that's receive complete forgiveness from Jesus. This is really the only cure for an un- impure heart. It's the only way to have that, that sin that stands between us and God removed. It's to receive Jesus into our lives, no matter how hard we try. We can't make ourselves pure. It's impossible. It's part of the human struggle. Paul says, the thing I want to do is what I find myself not doing. And the thing I don't want to do is what I find myself doing. <laughs> Even the Apostle Paul struggled with the same thing that you and I struggle with. Hey, we're in good company. But the key is you've got to have Jesus there. There's sin in our life and only God can remove that impurity from our lives. Because he is the only one who's pure and holy. Psalm 51 verse 7 says, Purify me from my sins. I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. There's some action. Purifying and washing. Those are actions. Your mom washes your clothes. And then she has to wash them and wash them and wash them sometimes because you like to get them really dirty and then leave them on the floor and then they mildew or whatever they do. Or she'll walk by and say, here you go! And they jump up and run to the washing machine by themselves. I mean, it's just amazing what can happen. But those have to be washed and washed and washed and purified. Well, that's the way God does us. And the Bible says that God can wipe away all of our sin. He can remove all the impurity that's in our life. He can absolutely remove it. He can make it so that it seems nothing impure has ever been there. All the regrets, all the emotions, all the stuff that was bad, he can remove, make it all clean as though it never existed. Is that not awesome? That's the God I know. That's the Jesus I know. But you've got to surrender to him. You've got to give your heart and life to him. 
Romans 3.22 says it this way, we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we all can be saved in this same way no matter who we are or what we have done. Let's go back and look at that verse again, Jeff. Read it with me. No, no, there, there. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we all can be saved in this same way, no matter who we are. That ought to lift you right there. That ought to lift you right there. Would you underline that phrase, we are made right in God's sight in your Bible? Because what he's saying is that when we invite God into our lives, we are made pure in his sight. And the things that used to separate us, the impurities in our life, well, they're all gone now. Now we can see God. Now we can be with God. Every mistake we've made, every hurt we've experienced, it's all gone and we're made brand new when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, examine your hearts to find impurities. Yes, let's keep the garbage out. Yes, let's fill our life with God's presence. Yes, but you'll never be clean on your own effort. You need Jesus Christ in your life. So what happens when I sin again? I mean, I'm not perfect. I've been a follower of Christ for a long time. I'm still not perfect. I keep messing up. My impurity keeps me separated from God. How can I stand in God's presence? How can God look at me when I keep messing up and I keep sinning? When you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you invite him into your life, he changes everything. Jesus died for every one of your sins he died for the sins you committed in your past. He died for the sins you committed today. And he died for the sins that you will commit tomorrow. He's got it all covered. And so when we sin, and after we've invited him into our life, the Bible says that when he comes into our life, he, he lives in us. And from that point forward, God doesn't see the stuff that we mess up in life. He only sees the blood of his precious son, Jesus covering our sins because the sacrifice was made once and for all. So as a Christ follower, that's the balance we have to walk. We have to strive to have pure hearts and to honor God in everything we do. We should strive to remove the impurity in our hearts, not because we fear God, but because we love God. But we should always remember that we cannot make ourselves pure with our own effort. Only God can do that. So don't be discouraged. Don't beat yourself up. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. When he cleans up that part of your life, fill it with a godly part of your life. Fill it full of godly things. And he wants to do that for us. Our last verse, Psalm 5110. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you that today, as we come to our time of invitation. That there might be those here who are struggling. They're just struggling. They're struggling with life, finances, spouses, children, work, lack of work. Just pressures that life brings. You have promised, and when you promise, you follow through. You've promised that you will love us, and you will never leave us or forsake us. But God, when we let you clean something up in our life, 
we've got to put something of yours back in there. But our tendency is to get clean, say thank you, and then go back to living the way we were living, assuming we're going to get a different result. Would today, would today, someone, one person, say, you know, I'm going to clean it up this time and put God where, where that is and watch a victory happen. I don't know what the need is, God, but you do. If somebody's here and needs to join our church and say, you know, I want, I want to put my roots down here. We had some come last week. It was exciting to see. There may be others today. There might be others here that have never named you as their Savior. They've never been baptized the way the Bible teaches by immersion. I'd love that chance to sit down and talk to them and teach them. Because there's no reason to baptize somebody until they understand how important the heart has to change before the water. So God, I, whatever decision there is, maybe they just need prayer and they just say, you know, preacher, we just have some things going on. We don't want to talk about them, but we just need prayer. Well, I hope they'll let us know. Because we're ready to be your arms and your, your legs and your prayer warriors. Whoever's here, God needs you. Would they call in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing. Great song.